Welcome to the Men's Leadership Network podcast, where each month we're exploring what it means to be a godly leader in our homes, workplaces, and communities. It's likely that most of us have been asked at some point, what's your dream job? As kids or even adults, we have dreams playing sports professionally, starting a business that will change the world, creating an invention that puts our names in the history books, the list goes on. We dream, we strive, we plan, pursuing these dreams of ours, hoping to see them come to fruition. Well, today's podcast guest, Brett James, can relate to that. Brett was in medical school on his way to becoming a doctor while writing songs on the side is more of a hobby. He was a dreamer, but he also wanted to pay the bills and be able to provide for his family. So when his song started getting noticed and picked up by well-known artists, he realized that this hobby may actually become a dream fulfilled. Pastor Jeff and Brett's conversation is one that all men need to pay attention to because God has given each of us unique skills and desires, but he's also designed men to be the leaders within our family. This means we'll have to navigate important decisions in our life between pursuing our career and chasing a dream. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Men's Leadership Podcast. We are so glad you're joining in today. And man, we are blessed as men uh, just to be living our lives for the glory of God. And I'm just so grateful for you. And I am joined today with one of my best friends in the world. And I love this man. And uh, his name is Brett James. And he is an incredible uh, songwriter. He's an incredible man. And uh, I'm just so thankful that he's here today. So, Brett, thanks for joining in. Wow, what a thrill to be here. <laughs> well, I tell you, I don't get to sit down with Hall of Famers very much. But Brett went into the Songwriter Hall of Fame in Nashville. And to go into the Songwriter Hall of Fame is a big deal. And uh, when you have uh, 27 number one hits, you're, you're like doing something right. So it's pretty amazing. So I've been blessed for sure. Yeah. Blessed for sure on that, on that end of things. Well, Brett and I have been friends. We went to Baylor together. So we've been friends a long time. I did so. the math this morning, my friend. 36 years what? we've known each other. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. we're old, but no. we have known each other for 36 years. 36 years. Holy cow. You can strike that on there. Yeah. But it's, uh, 20 years. That. 20 years. So, yeah, we've, uh, we've been through a lot of life together, but it's been awesome. So tell us a little bit about you and uh, a little bit about your family and career, those kind of things. Sure. Uh, my name is Brett. I grew up in uh, mostly Oklahoma, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Grew up in a Christian home, went to Christian High School, Christian Heritage Academy mm-hmm. in Dell City, Oklahoma. <laughs> Salute. Um, then I met you at Baylor in 1986. Wow. Uh, we went to Baylor together. And uh, after that, I went to a couple years of med school. Mm-hmm. Um, and Got offered a record deal. It's a very long story, but I got offered a record deal and moved to Nashville in 1992. So wow. I've been here. 30, this is the 30th anniversary of moving here. Crazy. Um, I'm very blessed. I'm married to Melody. Mm-hmm. We have a blended family. We, I have four, and she has two, and they're all older now. The youngest <laughs> is 18. The oldest is 25. So we're in, in that stage of life, watching kids get engaged and get married and all that good stuff. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And you're a great dad, too. I'll just tell you. Thank so, you, bro. Yeah, Thank you. I'm blessed to have great kids, for sure. Hey, tell us about going to the Songwriters Hall of Fame. I mean, like, that's pretty awesome. I mean, tell us about that experience. Wow. It's, it's kind of surreal. You yeah. Know, it's not like I didn't, I don't think I knew there was a Songwriter Hall of Fame. I know I didn't until about five years and living in Nashville. And I remember I went to write with a couple of older guys, you know, and, and the, you know, the guy that had set it up for our co-write that day uh, was like, you know, they're both Hall of Famers. So, you know, bring your A game or whatever. And I was like... <laughs> Hall of Famers. What's that even mean? You know? So you kind of like a that, football Hall of Fame. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. At that point, I, I think no one had ever paid any attention to my songs. You know, I wasn't having any luck, and yeah. I was like, you know, how do you go from that to someday getting in the Hall of Fame? And so, 
uh, you know, it just takes a lot of time and writing a lot of songs and, and, a, and a, lot of, a lot of luck and timing and blessings and all that good stuff. But, you know, going in was, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. I honestly, you know, most awards are kind of like, ah, you know, whatever. It's, yeah. But this one was kind of cool, you know. <laughs> We had our brothers in from from Texas and Colorado, and and you invite your family and your friends, and and you know it, you you know put on tuxedos, and it's a pretty fancy deal. So it was really a thrill to go in this year. It was a really great show. They had oh, two yeah. classes because of the pandemic go in, so I got to go in with Amy Grant and yeah. Toby Keith and some fancy people, and it was just a fantastic night. Well, I got to be there, and uh, which was awesome. So thanks for that. But it was. Amazing. I mean, Garth Brooks sings. Carrie Underwood sings you in. Right. I mean, Kenny Chesney sings. I mean, it was like the who's who. Everybody, I mean, Trisha Yearwood. I mean, it just went down the list. And you were like, holy was, cow. Yeah, it was an amazing show, yeah. actually. I yeah. wish they had taped it or something. Because yeah. the show was, you know, Jason Isbell was there. Just, just oh. really fancy, cool, amazing songwriter. You know, they, you have one person, like one artist sings every songwriter in. And so Carrie was kind enough to sing Jesus Take the Wheel. And that yeah. was amazing to have her sing that for me. And what a great song, really too. Great yeah. Can't believe you wrote that song. Yeah. <laughs> hey, out of all the songs you've written, and you've written a bunch, right? I mean, what, what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite? You know, the stock answer has always been, you know, I've, you know, and the, big, and the big joke is, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had been really blessed. had 500 and something of my songs recorded by different artists over the Gosh. years, you know. and so the, <laughs> but, that, but I've also written 4,000 and something songs, which means that, you know, if you do the math, and that's just a song a day, that's at least that's over ten years of my life I spent, you know, getting no songs recorded and like for nothing, basically. <laughs> they all added up to nothing. So the stock answer has always been, you know, because I really do believe that some of the best songs I've ever written, some of my favorites, nobody's ever heard. They just stay on shelves for whatever reason. They didn't find the right artist and get recorded. But wow. you know, I've come to really embrace the fact that the song I'm known best for is "Jesus Take the Wheel." So I've got to kind of, kind of say awesome. that's got to be my favorite now. Yeah. That's all. I mean, it yeah. is an incredible song. Well, thank you. And Carrie was just amazing to record it. And, and uh, yeah, and she's, you know, she's a member of this church. Which I know. It's so fun <laughs> that we get to go to church together. And she's become a dear friend over the years and been so kind to let me be a tiny little part of her, her mm. career. And we've written a bunch of other songs together. Oh, yeah. So Something in the water. Yeah. And, I mean, how many do you do? So, and then, yeah. Kenny, you've written a bunch with him. I mean, Out Last with Night. Kenny Chesney, absolutely. You wrote two down. number ones in one day, I think, didn't we you? We did. Kenny and I got to write two number one songs in one day, one day <laughs> on a... On a deck, on his deck in St. John, we wrote uh, Out Last Night and a song called Reality the same day, and that was that was a great day. <laughs> you don't get to do that very often. So That's I, a great day. I wish you'd invite me back. Kenny, if you're listening, bring me, come, let's go to St. John today. <laughs> hey, so talk about that, because you said things have changed over the years. Like, what's the process of writing a song, and then how has that changed? Well, it has changed. Uh, you know, when it's funny, as you know, when you're you go from you getting your first guitar like I did at 19 in college and yeah. just starting to write songs for fun while you're going to college and medical school for me and to you know so everything's kind of done with a guitar in your room or a piano in your room and you're just all by yourself and then and then you move to Nashville and you realize that well people co-write you know and I you know my first my first album I did for Arista Records 100 years ago I wrote I think 10 of the 11 songs by myself that just doesn't happen anymore. You realize that, you know, all of a sudden co-writing becomes a thing. So now everybody's teaming up. And But for, you know, 20 years, that was two, you know, guys or girls in a room with two guitars or a guitar and a piano. And you write it that way, and then you go record it later with a band. Mm. Um, and what has happened in the last decade is that process has become, has changed because recording has changed. 
And so now the, the typical co-write would be, you know, two people that are what's called top liners. That's guys like me, write melody and lyric and play guitar or whatever. But there's almost always now, not almost, not, I would say 70% of the time, we have a track guy in the room, what we call a track guy. And that guy's job is to help write the song, but also kind of record it and make the music right there on the spot in, in, a, you know, in, a, in a studio that's the size of a bedroom with a laptop and some instruments, you know, and it's, these track guys are amazing because they can make, some of the good ones can make something sound like a record in 30 minutes and you just can't believe how that just happened or, you know, what did you do? What's the magic? <laughs> <laughs> I've tried to learn that skill, my friend, and really? it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, stay you, in your lane. Huh? Stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> stay in your lane. Yeah, so uh, I, I let that, I will never be a track guy. <laughs> but um, now, typically, we do, we, we'll write, yeah, with the, it'll be in, like when Carrie and I write, for instance, we're going to write next week and it'll be me and Carrie and her producer David Garcia who is a track guy and he's a he's our producer and so he will make it sound amazing while we're you know in the room on the spot and it's it's pretty pretty incredible to see those things come to life wow and there's pros and cons to all of it you know yeah but um that's that's kind of the way it's evolved over over the years that I've been doing it wow that's amazing yeah Hey, now you almost never went into songwriting. I mean, you you mentioned it earlier, but you went to med school. I mean, so we're friends at Baylor. We pledged Sigma Chi together, right? And so yeah. we've been friends. We're still great friends with all this group of guys, which is awesome. Yeah. So thankful. But but I remember when you know you graduated and you went to med school at OU, and you did a year of med school, and then talk about that whole process because that was a big deal in your life. Well, it was, you know, um, my, uh, my life in the music business, I guess, has been very up and down. Yeah. Um, you know, I graduated Baylor, went to, went to med school at, at University of Oklahoma. Um, I started writing songs kind of for fun, you know, and while I was a freshman, really, in med school, because I didn't have anything else to do in my free time. Um, so I started writing some songs, and all of a sudden, they kind of find their way to an intern in Nashville. Who had a, she, was, she wasn't even living in Nashville. She's one of our oldest friends, Deb Smith, yeah, Deb Marklin now. But she was living in Ann Arbor, Michigan, working college radio promotion, which has nothing to do with Nashville at all. But she was my big contact in the music business. Long story short, I sent her some songs, and her boss was a big deal and thought I could be a big deal. And next thing you know, on spring break of my sophomore year, I'm in, med I'm in, in Nashville and meeting with record labels. And all of a sudden, the biggest record label, my third day in Nashville, offers me a recording contract. Arista Records, they were a big deal back then. And, and uh, so I was kind of like, uh, I don't know, I'm in medical school let me think about this so i finished that year took my board exams and uh moved to nashville you know threw the stuff in my in my dotson i didn't have a nissan the nissan didn't exist yet or maybe they did but I, <laughs> mine was a dotson my dotson maxima drove to nashville thinking i was gonna like be able to figure out my life in a year you know thinking i'd, I'd find out whether i could it would work for me in a year and uh, realized that it, it moves much slower than that in yeah. Nashville. So after a year, I decided things were going well enough. I stayed. I was supposed to only get a year off of med school. Stayed in Nashville. Proceeded to fail miserably for the next, you know, six or seven years as a recording artist. Um, you know, I had, you know, you tell your friends, well, I got a song. It's, I got an album coming. And, you know, it's in Walmart for like a week. And then they're like, what happened to your album? It's like, ah, it didn't work. So I really did fail miserably as a recording artist during the, the most of the 90s, from about 93 to 97, I guess, 98. And... Um, you know, and came to a point, honestly, uh, where I almost had, I, I don't know that I had a panic attack, but if I ever have had one, I had one one day in, really? in White Bridge Road, uh, Target. Yeah. I, uh, I had been in Nashville, and when I came to town, everybody thought it was going to be Garth Brooks, so I was making great money, and, you know, 
this is good. All you know, I'm set up and, and I'm getting treated like I'm the next Garth Brooks. So everybody's, you know, wow, this is fantastic. I'm getting to go to the fancy parties and hang out with the fancy people. And all of a sudden, you know, five or six years later, I lose my record deal. I, my publishing deal um, that I, my income got cut by two thirds. And I was like, and I had two babies. I had a kid two and a kid one. And I was like, wow, um, what do I do? You know, I'm not sure what to do with this. The whole, the whole, and for most of your listeners are probably not old enough to remember in the late 90s, Nashville took a nosedive. The, mm-hmm. the country music business took a nosedive. We went from about 1,200 full-time songwriters to 200 in a matter of about 18 months. And I was like, I need to feed my kids, and I'm not sure that the music business is the way to do that. So um, I literally was standing in Target on White Ridge Road one day, and I was looking at a pair of uh, you know kids' little you know size one tennis shoes that were so cute for one of my babies, and I think they were 12 bucks. And I was like, man, I'd love to buy those for my kid, but I can't afford them, and I don't want to live like this. Um, I've got to figure something out. And uh, so what I, the only thing I'd ever done, I'd never had a real job. I'd gone to school and I'd, you know, been a songwriter or, or tr- a wannabe recording artist. Um, so the only thing I knew how to do was I snail mailed. This is before email. I wrote a, a handwritten letter to the dean of the med school at Oklahoma and said, you know, I've been, I was supposed to get one year off. It's been seven. Um, is there any chance I can get back in? She wrote me back and she said, well, you had good grades. You've been out for seven years. That's not a real thing we do, um, but I'll let you back in. You're going to have to repeat your sophomore year to get back up to speed, but I'll let you back in. And for me, that was a huge uh, weight off my shoulders because at that point in my life, I had sort of like, like I'd, I'd pretty much given up the dream of music. You know, mm. I was like, and, and I was fine with that. I'd come to Nashville. I'd get, had my opportunity, had my chance. I was like, okay, I, that's not in God's plan. I should, you know. God's taken me elsewhere, and that's great. But at least if I go finish med school, I'll be in, I was 30 years old at the time, so it would have been, I'd have been like 35, 6, 7 before I'd actually been practicing medicine, right? But at least I knew someday I was going to have a job yeah. that would hopefully be able to, you know, feed my kids and, and help them get through college someday. And that's all that mattered to me at the moment, you know? And so I was really mm-hmm. thrilled to go back to med school. Um, so I did. I I put my house up for sale in Nashville, went and stayed in my parents' house in Oklahoma City uh, while I went to, started back to med school for that year. And, um, you know, that's when, uh, for me, God really had mm. other plans. Um, you know, I, I started med school on September 1st. Um, up to that point in seven years in Nashville, I'd had two kind of minor recorded cuts, songs recorded by other artists because I really hadn't been trying to do that. But I still had a publishing deal. Um, I had a contract, so I had a contract for another year, and mm. my publisher said, well, give it a shot, you know, right, right from Oklahoma and see what happens. And long, really long story short is September 1st, I started med school, and September 4th, Faith Hill cut one of my songs on her Breathe album that ended up selling 8 million copies. And then um, in the next nine months, while I was back going to school every day, I had 33 more of my songs recorded and had five top tens on the radio oh, in my. nine months. It was kind of like God saying... Wow, man, uh, you're not supposed to be a doctor. I don't know. <laughs> I think I was going like like God knew what a horrible doctor I was going to be, and He was like, "I got to do something radical to stop this." You know, this man cannot be in charge of people's lives. This is not something I can let happen. So, for whatever reason, God literally just you know, uh, I I couldn't have dreamed up yeah. 33 cuts and five top tens. No. That would have been like that would have been a nice five year run, and it happened in nine months. Wow. And uh, so. 
to the, the end of that long story is that I, uh, you know, I, I, you know, after nine months in, of, of being a sophomore again in med school and taking my <laughs> sophomore exams again, I went back to the same dean of the med school and had to walk into her office and tell her I was quitting after she had, <laughs> after she, after she had done all this, you know, pull strings and all that. And so what I did was I had the songs that I had recorded on the sheet of paper. They were typed out, and you know, and I, I, I you know, I walked in. I said, okay, so I know you pulled a lot of strings to let me back in, but you know, I just kind of slid the paper across her desk and I said, but here's what's going on with my music career, and. I had no idea, but thank God she ended up being a big country music fan. I no didn't way. know this. So she looked at the list. She's like, I know that song. I love that song. That's a great song. And she looked across and she says, you have to go do this. I said, well, thank you. And she goes, but you can't ever come back. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> that was the end of my medical career right there. Um, and that's been, you know, that was in uh, the year 2000, so 21 years ago. And then, you know. God's just blessed my, my songwriting career ever since. Oh, then. man. Yeah. So yeah. Been, that's been the journey a little bit. Yeah. That's incredible, bro. Golly. I mean, praise the Lord. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I, like I said, I think, I think, I think the people who would have been my patients are the ones who should be <laughs> praising the Lord probably is the ticket. Hey, well, talk about this because right now we're kind of seeing the great resignation that's happening out there. A lot of people kind of quitting their jobs after COVID and trying to figure out really meaning and purpose for their life. What advice can you give to men about finding that right job and even finding purpose in their career? You know, I mean, just my experience, and and it leans back on that panic attack I had in a target, is that God will take care of that for you. Mm. God will open those doors, close the windows, do do whatever, you know, he needs to do to put you in the right spot. Mm. And the other thing that I also learned from that experience for me is that, you know, I was willing to do anything. I yeah. would have sat behind a desk all day and in a coat and tie joyfully mm-hmm. in order to provide for my family. Mm. And for me, that was, that was a, a huge lesson learned. I, you know, not everybody is meant to be a pro basketball player, mm. or, and I'm certainly not, or a pro football player, or, you know, have some kind of rock star job. Mm-hmm. I've been lucky that, you know, songwriting is a pretty cool job. Mm-hmm. But not everybody's meant to do that. Mm-hmm. And, but we are meant as men to provide for our families. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there are, I don't think you, I don't think finding meaning in your job is, is necessarily the end all be all. I think finding meaning in life is, and I think some of that happens outside your job. And I I think that you can find meaning in, Mm -hmm. you know, any desk job, the most menial task, hopefully, Mm -hmm. if it's done to the glory of God, you can find meaning in that. And that would be what I took from that was Mm -hmm. learning the lesson that, you know, whether or not I'm a songwriter or a garbage man. I don't care as long as my kids are fed, mm. you know, and there's nothing wrong with being a garbage man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's, that was for me, the lesson that I learned in that whole experience was that I need to do whatever it takes to provide for my family. And, you know, whether, and I do think that, because I, I think that some, especially in my business, in the music business, I've seen way too many people hang on to it too long mm. and they drag their families through it. You know, if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Mm. Try something else. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you didn't lose just because you, like for me, you know, I would have considered myself a loser because I went and did something else. I yeah. gave it my shot. I tried yeah. to chase my dream. If it yeah. hadn't worked out, that's fine. Yeah. So it's okay to chase the dream, but if the dream doesn't, doesn't, doesn't chase you back. It's, yeah. it's also okay just to decide that, you know, I'm going to go do whatever it takes to feed my family. And so that's kind of 
I know, I know that doesn't really answer the whole meaning question, but no. But for me, that was my experience, is, and that was a big lesson that I learned, that I don't have to be a rock star songwriter to have me, purpose and meaning in life. Yes. You know? And it, it, it just, it, you know, whatever God places in front of me to do to, to take care of myself, take care of my wife, take care of my kids, I'll do it. Yeah, that's, that is great wisdom for, for guys. And that's our call, you know, is to take care of our families and to provide and to love and to nurture. And, and uh, yeah, and I think sometimes we try to find our identity in our job. And our identity is not always in our job. Our identity is in who we are as men and who we are in Christ. And then that call to take care of our family. And that moment you had there at that Target on Whitebridge Road, I know exactly where that Target is. I could just imagine God really gripped your heart, you know, and you, you figured out, here's what I'm living for, you know? And yeah, yeah. That Everything changes, you know, and and, it, and as you know, it mm-hmm. all changes when you have kids. Amen. I mean, that's just, the, that's just mm-hmm. for me anyway. I yeah. mean, it's just yeah. the reality of the situation, mm-hmm. you know, most... You know, when you're young and newly married, I mean, you know, you can live in a garage apartment and it doesn't matter and you can be blissfully happy. But all of a sudden you get kids and you go, wow, yeah, I got to put clothes on them. I got to feed them. They got to go to school. OK, this isn't this is a game changer. And, you know, and that's what God's called us to do is raise our children. Yeah. So that's that was for. Hey, talk about that for a moment, because you are a great dad. I mean, I've been able to watch you. You know, I've been in the hospital when your kids have been, been born. I think you were there for all four of them. Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to pick a name out for Preston. <laughs> <laughs> out of a book. Of a book. You, that's my oldest. My oldest son is Preston. And, yeah, Jeff was there when we pulled his name out of a book. I remember that. Uh, it, was, it was great. But how do you have time? You know, you've got four kids. Now you got six. I mean, like, how do you make time in the middle of this successful career to really be the dad that you feel like you're called and created to be? Well, I don't. I don't know. If there's a great answer to that. For me, it's just priorities. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. I, uh, you know, you got to, I like hanging out with my kids. Yeah. I always have, you know, when they're young, we all know that's a, that's a full pull, you know? I mean, I, I can remember I used to drive home and I, I used to, you know, drive home from work, you know, and you get home and, you know, and that was the easy part of the day. And I just remember walking up to the, to the front door of the house and, you know, taking a deep breath and thinking, okay, I just got to make it to bedtime. <laughs> you know, I just got to survive. And, and it's not surviving because you, you love it and you enjoy it, but it's just when, the, when they're young, it just requires so much energy. Oh, yeah. And thank you. So that's why, that's why God, God gives us kids when we're younger. That's for sure. Yeah. But, um, you, know, I th- you know, I think it's just priorities. If you, if you prioritize mm. time with your kids, then that is, you know, I mean, that... It's where it all comes back. That's mm-hmm. where that's that's where all the blessings come, in my mm-hmm. opinion. You know, and then they get to be our, you know, mm-hmm. my kids' age, and, and your kids are mm-hmm. a little younger than mine. But you know, and and you go from them chasing you around one time to you chasing them around one time, and that's where I am now. You know, I got one living in Houston, one in Atlanta, and you know, I'm just like, hey, make time for the old man over here. You know? <laughs> but you know what I, I will say for me, it's been, um, you know finding things in common to do with your kids as they grow up, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that looks like. You know, you've got to find our job as parents, in my opinion, is to sort of figure out what they love and what they're about and where we can find common ground that we enjoy spending time together and be willing to do that with them, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, I was lucky lucky enough with my boys to train them to be huge sports fans <laughs> <laughs> and to, to love to play sports all the time. So, you know, I, you know, my three sons are, you know, my three best friends in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and 
they are, I mean, just the hours and hours that we've gotten to play football together and golf together and, and tennis together and all those, you know, and watch games together, that's been special. Daughters are a little bit different, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a little harder. I only have one daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's my favorite girlfriend in the world, I should mm-hmm. say. You know, she's, she's just so awesome. But... Um, you know, they're a little bit more challenging to find, you know, you know, she doesn't do sports, you know, so we find other things to do. And I think as they grow older, you know, you, you said this a million times Mm -hmm. and I, and, and I know you do it really, really well is you have to date your daughters. You Mm -hmm. really do have to, as a dad, Mm -hmm. you have to date your daughters. You Mm -hmm. have to find time and say, Hey, let's go on a date so Mm -hmm. I can actually sit and spend one-on-one time with you hearing about your life and you tell me what's going on and what, you know, how to, you know, I need to know about you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's that's what daughters need more than anything. And just, you know, stupid, unconditional love. We yeah. all know that, you know. Well, uh, that's so good, though, Brett, because you got to be intentional. And I think what happens is is life just goes so fast. And if we aren't intentional to date our spouse and to, to date our kids, you know, to really schedule time with them, you know, whether it's, you know, playing tennis or whether it's, you know, taking your daughter to, to lunch, you know, mm-hmm. you, if you don't if you don't schedule it, it's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. And uh and I think for a lot of guys, we get so caught up in our career that we, we miss out on those opportunities and with our kids. And then they grow up, and then they're off doing their own thing. And you're like, oh, man, I missed it. And it's like, don't miss it. You right. know, don't miss it. Absolutely. You know? yeah. so, the yeah. windows get smaller as they get older, for they, sure. They really do. Yeah. yeah. Hey, talk about your own personal faith journey and like how it's impacted your career and even your family. Well, I was I was I grew up in a Christian home, which is you know the greatest blessing. Yeah. Ever. My parents became Christians when I was in about about ten. Mm. I became a Christian when I was twelve. Mm. Um, and you know, I think it, I think that foundation changes everything. Yeah. You know, it 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 puts you in church. I mean, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, so <laughs> we were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday <laughs> evenings. I went to a Christian school. I mean, you know, that was. There was choir practice on Tuesdays, and I'm sure there was something else on Thursdays. And so, you know, I, I, so youth group and church was, you know, the end-all, be-all growing mm-hmm. up. And that's such a great way to grow mm-hmm. up. It just is because you're surrounded by, uh, you know, positive influences and positive peer groups that, that, yeah. that constantly are pushing you back toward God as mm-hmm. opposed to trying to take you the other direction. You yeah. Know? And, you know, my kids, I've been very blessed in, with my kids that they've all gone to, um, you know, I'm, I'm, this isn't a plug, but they've yeah. all gone to Brentwood Academy. Yeah. And that's a Christian school. And that has meant the world to my kids. Mm-hmm. And, and because I would say that, they're, you know, I'm an incredibly flawed parent, but mm-hmm. that school has really helped parent my kids in, a, in an amazing way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't take a Christian school to do that, but right. it takes a Christian environment to do that. It takes a Rolling Hills uh, <laughs> youth group. It, mm-hmm. You know, it takes a great youth pastor mm-hmm. and just a group of friends that you can you can find that in church. You can find that in young life. You can find that in, yeah. you know, camp in the summer. I think whatever those situations that our kids can be in is is uh, so important. Yeah. And from my life, that's just been the, just the story of my life that mm. I've had friends like you. <laughs> Who, to, who bring me back when I've gone to the edge of, of multiple times, you know, and, and friends like our brothers, that, mm-hmm. you know, that are from college, and, mm-hmm. and I've got some others that, that are always there for me when I want to go be an idiot, you know. <laughs> they kind of throw their rope and, hey, dude, you're being an idiot, you know. And I think that men especially, we need that, and we yeah. need to hear it in just kind of those terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's, gonna, it's okay to say to a brother, bro, you're screwing up here. Yeah. You need to get your act together. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, you've said that to me, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
And, you know, I think that just as, as men, we need to hear that. And so I think that, I think that's kind of a big part of the Christian walk is the Christian fellowship that we find and yeah. the, the, the people that puts you around. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, you're spot on, you know. And I just encourage any guys out there who are listening, man, just get in church, get your kids in church. Man, it just makes such an impact and such a difference. And, and don't go alone, man. Yeah. Find some brothers. Find who, some brothers. Who will walk with you. So, hey, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Man, I... Um, that is a tough one for me because I've never been like. It's interesting. I thought about that. You actually were kind enough to send these questions <laughs> to me yesterday. So these are these are softballs, guys. I knew these were, knew these questions were coming. <laughs> but you know, I, I literally thought about that this morning, and it's interesting because it it you know most of the time you think about advice and it comes from your dad. Yeah. Um, and you were you you knew my dad, and mm-hmm. I, I was lucky enough to know your dad and mm-hmm. still know your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was you know. I think like you, my dad mm. was my hero. My dad was mm-hmm. the greatest guy I ever knew. Um, but he wasn't um, my, and he was, a, he was a doctor, and he, you know, he passed in 07 of cancer, and I think there were 1,500 people at his funeral. You know, he just influenced so many people through church and his medical practice. He was the kind of guy that just, he loved, you know, he was old school. He would deliver the babies and take care of the grandparents and everybody in between, you know, that kind of old school doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was not an advice giver at all. Mm. Which is interesting, um, and I've thought about that a lot because I'm not an advice giver to my kids either. I just, I'm, you know, some dads, and I wish I were one of them. You know, you know, we got a buddy, Rick Welday. Yeah. I always want Rick's advice because he just gives the best advice. You know, and I and, and he does it to his kids, and I'm like, I wish I could be like that. But my dad was not like that, and my dad was more. He was an example giver, mm-hmm. and that's kind of. I mean, because I really can't think of one piece of advice that he ever said to me, but he lived in such a way and loved everybody in such a way mm. that that was the way he gave advice. Mm. And so that, you know, that's when I think of the best advice I've ever given. I, I would say watching my dad live, mm. whatever that means. That's you know? good. Yeah. Wow, that that's strong. I mean, you know, Paul writes, right, follow me as I follow Christ. And, mm. man, it, that calling for us to live that kind of life where people would look at us, you know, and, yeah. and I mean, that's that's powerful, you know, so... Yeah. Hey, just give us two takeaways. It's the beginning of a new year, right? I mean, this is January, you know, 2022. Give us a couple of takeaways on finding your dream and just prioritizing your family in the middle of it all. You know, I think of finding your dream, that's such a great, I mean, that's such a great question. I mean, Mm. finding your dream, what does that look like? You know, I think my my thoughts are don't be afraid to think outside the box. You Mm. know, I mean, for me, it it literally meant leaving something that, most people think is a pretty stable gig. You know, I was lucky enough to get into med school, all that kind of stuff. And for me, I was like, eh, I'm going to pick up a guitar and go try this, you know. Um, and, and, you know, if you, can, if, you can, if you do have a passion that you can turn into a job, that's the greatest thing ever, yeah. right? You know. Um, but it doesn't have to be that either. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I think we talked about that a little bit, about yeah. finding your dream. It's, it's more about living the life you want to lead more than it is necessarily the job that's going to make you happy or yeah. the, the XYZ that's going to make you happy. You can live the life that God wants you to live that is your dream life, kind of doing almost anything for mm. to make money, you yeah. know, I think. So, I mean, that, that would be that. Um, what was the second part of that question? Yeah, and then how do you prioritize your family in the middle of it all? Well, I think that's just... I mean, I don't know. To me, that's always just been obvious. I mm. mean, I think I think family is everything, and mm. kids are your kids are your life. And mm. you know, I, I think that every I think I think all of us have to realize that career is 
is such not a big deal in the grand scheme of things for me anyway. I mean, I think it's, I think it's awesome to have a great career and I, I respect the guys that have bigger ones than I'll ever dream of. But I just think that, that the, in the grand scheme of life, I think that, that career is just a small part. And mm. I think that we have to, you know, I mean, compared to your kids, career is nothing. Mm. That's all I'll say. It's not even a thing. And it, it, it doesn't, God doesn't really care what you do to make a living. Really, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But, but God cares about how you love your kids. Mm. And, um, you, know, uh, you know, I think loving your your kids, your spouse, the people God puts in front of you every day is what we're here to do. And so I think that's a pretty pretty uh, easy one to, to prioritize. Awesome. Wow. that's There's a lot of great meat right there. Uh, hey, last question. What do you want your legacy to be? Hmm. <laughs> you know, it's real simple. Mm. Love. I, mm. I mean, it's super. I mean, that sounds like the most trite answer of all time, but literally just love. I mm. mean, you know... Um, you know, I'm a big Matthew 22, 37 person. I mean, <laughs> Jesus summed it all up pretty well. Love, love God and love others. Everything else will take care of itself. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that if we're do, we do that well, or if I hope that I can do that well so that, because, you know, 100 years from now, nobody's going to remember any song I wrote, mm. you know, and, and they probably won't remember me because mm. it'll be three generations away. But the, the, the people that are around us as on this earth today and our kids and our spouses and our, you know, whoever God puts in front of us, as long as we're loving and as long as we're loving is hard and hopefully sacrificially and hopefully um, in the way that God loves us, mm. as long as we're doing that, I think we're, we're on the right path. That's what I'd like my legacy to be. Wow. That's awesome. Oh, Brett, thanks, man. Thank thanks you, for bro. being here. Thanks for sharing with us today. And um, guys, thank you for, for listening. Hey, I want to say a quick prayer for all of us. So, Father God, thanks for today. And thank you, God, for speaking through Brett to even my heart, Father, and to every one of us as men. And, and God, let us prioritize, Father, you and our families and in this new year. Let us live a life of love. That's an example for others to follow. Um, God, let us be men after your heart. And so thank you, Father, for a new year and new opportunities. And let us live our lives for your glory. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. Wow. Thank you, Jeff. Oh, Brett, it's been great. Guys, thanks so much for listening today. And so glad you joined in. Be watching next month as we drop a new podcast. But also every Friday, we've got the Man Minute. So, hey, just jump on there every Friday. And if you don't have a men's group, I want to encourage you, beginning of a new year, there's lots of men's groups that are happening. You can go on the Rolling Hills website. You can also find if you go to a different church or someplace. Man, there's great opportunities for you to get involved, but share life together. Don't go alone. God's got a great plan for you and so thankful to be on this journey with you. So thanks for joining in today and God bless. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast. We pray what you learned today will help you as you strive to become a better leader in your own home, workplace, and community. Once again, if you found this content helpful, we hope you'll subscribe, comment, and share this podcast with others. And be sure to join our email list to ensure you never miss an episode as they come out the first Friday of every month. You can do that now and find all of our past episodes at mensleadershipnetwork.com.